The scripture for this morning is John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Thank you, Laura. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, great to be with you, all of you here in person and those of you uh, out online. And uh, some of you know I just uh, returned from vacation. <clears throat> And uh, I always think it's a good vacation when I come back a little disoriented, you know? Like, okay, where's my office again? Oh, yeah. And actually, while I was gone, my assistant, Brenda Bowers, moved offices, so now I'm all messed up. The spark that lit the fires of Methodism began with a 34-year-old priest in the Church of England. John Wesley was intelligent disciplined and ambitious. But at that period of his life, he was also discouraged, confused, and uncertain about his salvation. And then on May 24, 1738, John went to an evening Bible study. He said he really didn't want to go, but he kind of pushed himself, and he went anyway. It's a good thing he did. About a quarter before nine, uh, there was somebody there who was reading Martin Luther's introduction to the book of Romans, and while listening to Luther's description of how God works in the hearts uh, through faith in Christ, something happened that John did not expect. He wrote about it in his journal later that night. He said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from sin and death. And from that spark, the fires of Methodism swept across England for the rest of that century and beyond. Let's pause now and pray. Oh, God, we ask that you will let those fires burn brightly in our time. And may we each experience that we do trust in Christ for salvation. Give us an assurance that our sins are taken away. And may each of us leave here today able to confidently say, I have been saved from sin and death. Amen. Well, today is the first Sunday in our series called Hearts Ablaze, and I picked a few of John Wesley's sermons uh, that I'm rewriting 
uh, to share with you. And my goal is I want to stay as true to John Wesley as I possibly can, but I also want to express it in ways that, that we can hear it and understand it in our time. Uh, today's message, Wesley uh, titled New Birth. And, and, you know, John Wesley could be quite verbose <laughs> uh, by our standards. Uh, his sermons are usually twice as long as ours. Fortunately for you, I've done a whole lot of packing, condensing, rewording uh, to make it fit the time. Anyway, he starts his sermon by quoting Jesus in John 3, 7, you must be born again. You must be born again. A couple weeks ago marked the 50th anniversary of the infamous break-in of the Watergate Hotel. Maybe you've heard about Watergate. Anyway, that led to the resignation of President Nixon. One of Nixon's aides, Chuck Colson, was put in jail, and while he was incarcerated, he had an experience with Jesus. And later, he wrote a book about his life entitled Born Again. And from then on, that phrase, born again, became used even more widely among Christians who'd had a dramatic experience and encounter with Christ. Many of us here uh, would say today that we, we are born again, even if we didn't have a big dramatic kind of experience. And some of us here would say, well, I'm not really sure whether I am or not. And that's okay. Today, I hope to, to help you find some clarity on that. When Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again, that phrase, born again, is, is, a, is kind of a phrase that has a double meaning. You could translate it two ways, born again or born from above. And Jesus uses the phrase, born of the Spirit, to mean the same thing. Born again, born from above, born of the Spirit. And we find the idea, <clears throat> pardon me, of rebirth several places in the New Testament. For example, the first chapter of John talks about those who are born of God. First letter of Peter, we looked at that in the spring, uh, that God has given us a new birth into a living hope. And then Paul's letter to Titus says that God saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal in the Holy Spirit. John Wesley says that two doctrines stand as the bedrock foundation of our Christian faith, justification and new birth. Now, justification is a legal term that the Bible uses to describe how God forgives us of all our sins. He pardons our offenses, he wipes the record clean, and he puts us right with God. We're lined up with God again. We're justified. And that's what God does for us. The new birth uses biological language to talk about how, what God does in us, changing us, transforming us, and giving us a new beginning. So justification and new birth happen at the same time. And when we believe in Jesus and we receive his forgiveness, his spirit starts working in us and transforming us uh, in, in our hearts, and, and that's what we're going to focus on today. This morning, we're going to cover three questions about this new birth. 
what does it mean to be born again? Or excuse me, why do we need to be born again? Two, what happens when we are born again? And three, what is the purpose of this new birth? Okay? First, why do we need to be born again? Well, go back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1. God says, let us make humankind in our image. And he did that in three ways. Three ways that we are made in God's image. God made us in his natural image because he made us to live forever and to, he gave us understanding and the ability to love and to have free will. God also made us in his governing image giving us responsibility to care for the earth and to, to rule over its, all its creatures. And God made us, thirdly, in his moral image. And this is the most important one. We are made in God's image of righteousness and holiness and love. Then in Genesis 2, the man and woman, we find, are full of love. Uh, they, love guides all of their, of their thoughts and words and actions, and God is full of justice and mercy and, and truth. And so the, the, the woman and the man are too, full of justice and mercy and truth. So God created humans in his image. But they were not created unchangeable. Humans had the capacity to grow in wisdom with God and also the capacity to fall away from God. In Genesis 3, we find that the, the, the woman and the man did fall away from God. They, they ate from the tree that God says, don't ever eat from that again, or don't ever eat from that. And, and by this rebellious act, it wasn't just about eating a fruit. They were saying they didn't want God's rule anymore. They wanted to, to find their own happiness, their own way, without God. Now, God had previously warned them, on the day that you eat of this, this forbidden fruit, you shall die. And they ate, and they did die eventually. But on that day, they died the worst kind of death. They died in their relationship with God. And their sin created an alienation from God. And we know that because one of the first things they did after they ate that forbidden fruit was to hide from God. They didn't want to face God. They were still made in God's image, but that image was now terribly distorted. Instead of reflecting God's character, they were reflecting pride and self-will and the image of God's enemy. And as a result, they became unholy and unhappy. Sadly, Genesis 3 is not only the story of Adam and Eve, it's our story. It's our story. Why must we be born again? Because the scriptures say, we are dead. The Bible says we are dead in sin. We are dead in our relationship with God. It's like we're still trying to, to, to take God's place, you know. Put God, we're going to put you over here somewhere. So we must be reborn, born of the Spirit. We need this kind of new beginning. The second question, what happens when we are born again? 
Surprisingly, the Bible doesn't give us a full-blown explanation about all of this. Uh, John 3, verse 8, that, uh, that Laura just read, Jesus admits there's, there's kind of a mystery to this whole thing. Uh, Jesus says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Here in Nebraska, we know all about wind, don't we? Yeah, we are experts in wind. We just don't know what direction it's going to be coming from tomorrow, right? In the same way, we know the Holy Spirit brings new birth. We just don't know exactly how it happens. When Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again, this is not the first time Nicodemus has heard that phrase, born again. He knows that in his time, when, when Gentiles converted to Judaism, uh, they were baptized. It, it, they, and then they would say that they are born again. They, they were a, a formerly a child of the devil, and now they are adopted as a child of God. What Nicodemus doesn't expect to hear is that he himself, a highly observant Jew and a respected teacher, must also be born again. No wonder he asks in verse 9, how can this be? Nicodemus then immediately begins picturing a literal birth. Uh, but Jesus isn't talking about a second emergence from the motherly womb. He uses birth as a metaphor for a new beginning, new start in life. You know, every birth, every birth is like a miracle, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to, to witness that and not, not think that. Babies in the womb have eyes, but they cannot yet see. They have ears, but most of what they hear are the gurgling noises in, in the mother's body, you know. Uh, they have lungs, but they're not yet breathing. But when they are born, their senses are awakened to the world around them. What a miracle. And before we are born again, we have spiritual longings that we are unable to satisfy. We have spiritual eyes, but we're not yet able to discern the truth of God. We have spiritual ears, but they're not yet tuned to the voice of God. The Spirit is moving, but so often we are unaware of the presence of God. But when we are born of God, all of this changes the eyes of our hearts are awakened, our ears are opened, and we hear the inner voice of God saying something like, my child, you are forgiven. Go and sin no more. At times, we, we sense the Holy Spirit leading us, directing us. We, we begin to discover the peace of God that transcends all understanding. Sometimes we experience a joy that it's just words cannot describe. Newborn Christians can especially be aware of, of God's love poured into their hearts, God's love for them and then their love for others. And from God's word and our life experiences, we learn to discern between good and evil. Prayer and praise begin to flow from our hearts. Worldly passions 
or exchange for love for God and love for others. Pride is exchange for humility. Anger is, is exchange for kindness. What happens when we are born again? The Apostle Paul says that we are made alive to God in Christ Jesus. We, isn't that what happens with birth? We are made alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now the third question. What is the purpose of the new birth? Well, the first purpose is our holiness. Jesus said, be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. Well, what is holiness? It is having the image of God restored in you. That image that we so badly distorted can be restored. It's, it's learning to love what God loves. Holiness gives you the character of Jesus, his compassion, his kindness, his humility and gentleness and patience. Holiness is possessing the mind of Christ. 1 Peter 1.15 says, be holy in all you do. I think that's going to require more than I can muster on my own. The first purpose of the new birth is holiness. The second purpose is our salvation. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So new birth and the holiness it brings are necessary for our salvation. But I want you to know, and I, and I want to say this every so often, that, that this salvation is not something that is achieved. It is received. You know, many people still assume that salvation is a matter of what we do, that it's a matter of what we achieve, how, how good that we've been, how frequently we have attended church, and, and whether, or not, whether or not we've been honest or, and generous and kind. But, you know, that's not how it works. Salvation is received, not achieved. Jesus simply says it this way. You must be born again. And being born is not really an achievement, is it? <laughs> Neither is being born again. It's a gift. That's the way of salvation. So what's the purpose of, of the new birth? Our holiness, our salvation, and also our happiness. It's impossible to be truly happy without being holy. I mean, that's just sort of the way life works, right? As one pagan uh, Roman uh, poet said, no bad person can be holy or can be happy. No bad person can be happy. You think about it. Unholy attitudes are unsettled attitudes. Hostility, hatred, envy, jealousy, revenge, they create hell in the human heart. Even, even our little unholy indulgences result in, in more pain and pleasure in the end. And the more we live in pride and self-will and idolatry, the unhappier we're going to be until we receive this new birth. New birth brings us into a life of happiness in this world and in the world to come. Now, before I close, let me add a few quick clarifications, okay? First, the new birth is not the same as baptism. 
You may have been baptized when you were an infant like I was or as a youth or adult, but baptism is not a substitute for the new birth. Many people today have been baptized who are in desperate need of a new birth in Christ. But let's say that you were baptized as an infant and you have always believed in Jesus and belonged to him. You've never strayed from that faith. You walk with the Lord daily uh, from early childhood until your adult life. And, and, and I would say that if you show the signs of life in Christ, if they are evident in you, you are born again. You don't need to have had a big dramatic experience and fallen away from God and come back. Uh, you don't need that to prove it. You are born again. Second, the new birth is just the first step in living a holy life. Just as a child is born and then grows up, when we are born of the Spirit, then we grow up in the Lord. We become spiritually mature. And thirdly, it is possible for anyone and everyone to be born again. It is possible for anyone to believe in Jesus and be, live for him and begin a new life in him. And it is possible for you. Today, Jesus says, be born again. Be born again. And for some, it happens gradually, like, the, like a dawn, you know, over a season of life. And for others, it happens, bam, all at once, like a flash of lightning. And however it happens, the mark of the new birth is the life that follows. So, my friends, I encourage you, be born again. There is nothing that can take the place of that. And if you have not yet begun to live this new life in Christ, you can begin today. Seek it. Ask for it. Receive it. Maybe, maybe you've been a churchgoer for decades, and you just, you know, you are very comfortable in that pew, right? But you have kept firm control of your own life, and you have kept Jesus at a distance. You have not yielded your life to him, and Jesus is saying to you today, come to me and be born again. Maybe you've been a Sunday school teacher and a VBS volunteer. Maybe you've gone on mission trips and have served at the pantry, but you're still trying to achieve. You're still trying to prove your own worth. Like I said, new life in Christ isn't about what we achieve. It's about what we receive. Jesus says, come to me and be born again. Maybe you're not sh sure if you're ready for it. Maybe you're not sure if you're ready to be born again. Just as a baby may not be sure uh, that they're ready to leave the comfort of the womb. <laughs> But birth is what this child has been preparing for, whether they know it or not. And God has been preparing you for this. So today, if you want to be born again, I would just encourage you to ask for it. Ask Jesus to forgive you and to, to make you new. Ask him to enter into your life and, 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 and yield control to him. 
Say, okay, Lord, from now on, it's all yours. And ask him to send the Holy Spirit to live within you. It may be powerful. It may be very simple. But you will be born again. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you, you have, I think each of us can say, and I'm speaking for all of us here in this prayer, you have blessed me in so many ways. Today, give me this one more blessing. Let me be born again. Take away any comfort you wish, but let me have this blessing. Let me be born from above. Lord Jesus, forgive me of all of my sins and make me new. Enter my life, Lord. I, I give you control. You can have it. Send the Holy Spirit now to live within me. And whatever happens from this day forward, if I lose my reputation, my fortune, my friends, my health, so be it. I leave that all in your hands, Lord. Only give me this. I want, I want to be born of the Spirit. I want to become a child of God now and forever. And once I am confident that I have received this new birth, help me grow up in it. Nourish me that I may, that I may grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.